So many times when we're just trying to do anything creative or whatever opportunity comes our way, nobody's really gonna think of you for that and those opportunities aren't gonna come to you. But the more you say, you know, in my case, I wanna make documentaries about food <laughs> or whatever it is that is your dream, the more you can zero in on that and start doing it in whatever way you can and tell everyone you know that's what you wanna do, I feel like that's a huge way that um, can help you get to where you wanna go. While story invites us to ask powerful questions, your life and your story are shaped by the questions you ask. What is the story that you ache to tell? The only way to become a better storyteller is by telling more stories. The only hope we have are the stories we tell. Stories not bound by what is possible. We are proud to be storytellers. Backstage at Story 2018, I had the honor of sitting down for a conversation with Abigail Fuller. If you're on a if yeah. you're on an airplane and someone says, "What do you do for a living? What's your vocation?" and you started with, "I am a what is it? What is it that you say these days?" I am a filmmaker. Okay. A storyteller. Okay. Uh, and then, are we going deeper into that conversation, or am I diving back into it? <laughs> Yeah. Am I diving back into my Bon Appetit magazine? <laughs> okay. Is that what you read regularly? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good plain it, What's fascinating reading. is when I ask creative people, um, specifically storytellers, what they do for a living or what their vocation is, they have a hard time describing it. Um, mm. And I don't know if it's because we just don't like to be defined or something, uh, but it seems like you embrace the role of filmmaker and storyteller. Yeah, I've been, do I've been doing it for a while. And I, I think it's more awkward when you have, you know, whenever you have a form and you have to fill out occupation. <laughs> yes. Then it's always like, uh, this is this is not in the drop down menu. Yeah. You know, they don't have that one listed as something and it always, you know, requires follow up questions. But they want it to be with entertainment or some sort of grouping. Exactly. You're like, I'm not just entertaining Media arts, people. This sir. is more meaningful <laughs> than just entertainment. Yeah. Abby Fuller's resume includes directing things like Chef's Table, MTV's True Life, and her own documentary called Do You Dream in Color? about how the American education system falls short when it comes to helping blind students. She's worked with everyone from Ron Howard to Zac Efron, but her real story, the good stuff, isn't about all these splashy names. It's in the story itself. Let's go back to the very beginning then. When you said storyteller, is yeah. there, do you have a, an epiphany or a moment in your life when you look back and go, ah, it's not just about making cool videos. I'm telling stories. Ooh. When did you own the word storyteller? Was there like an aha moment? Yeah. Was it gradual? I'm trying to think about that. Um, I mean, there. I think there's different levels of, of and it's a nuanced understanding of, of becoming, you know, confident in that role and understanding the power of story. But I think my earliest memories was when I made a film in seventh grade okay. and kind of like rallied all of the neighbors. And this was something I was doing regularly. So I'd probably made like 20 little films already. But there was this one that I felt like really proud of because it actually had a twist and it had an arc and I created pieces of narration and it was just above and beyond um, stylistically and the depth that I had ever gone before. And I think I watched it over and over again, like 
kind of proud of myself. And I was like, ooh, like there's something to this. It's not just, you know, having fun with the camera, but if you put the work and you think about it and, and you really try to be deliberate, you can make something you're really proud of and you can feel something and people yeah. respond to that. And yeah. so that that was the, the first memory of that. And I think if I look at that movie now, I don't it's of probably not, it's probably not a very good story, but um <laughs> it definitely is the first kind of awakening to that idea. For sure. Um, and then you've had a pretty successful career making films since then and telling stories, right? What was it that you worked on before Chef's Table? So that, that you um, feel like kind of led oh, to man. the opportunity to direct Chef's Table? Right out of college, my first job was producing a fishing show. Okay. So that was my first job kind of getting a taste at documentary and television. And then my I was doing a feature film that um, I think when I went to USC, my original idea is I wanted to do narrative and I was writing and taking a lot of screenwriting classes. And then when I graduated, I saw a lot of my peers kind of going into these normal Hollywood career trajectories of like, let me work as an assistant to a director of development, a studio or at an agency. And I just knew that I just wanted to be making things, not kind of in a system. And unfortunately, you know, narrative projects just, there's a lot more barriers to entry. So you have to have more money, you have to have a cast, you have to have locations. Um, there's so much, a great script that you feel good about. Um, actors, all of all of the um, pieces together, but with a documentary, and this is, you know, I graduated in 2008, so, you know, everyone at that point has Final Cut Pro on your laptop for the mm -hmm. first time, and, and you have, um, you know, you're shooting 24P, which was like kind of a new thing, <laughs> and so you're like, wow, I can just go out into the world with my camera and my laptop and film real people and create a story um, with no barriers to entry. So that was kind of what got me into documentary filmmaking. And that was, you know, basically I, I started my journey to make Do Dream in Color, which was my first feature documentary that did the festival circuit. And that took me five years to make <laughs> because it was such a labor of love. So documentary has few barriers to entry, but to getting to the finish line <laughs> yes. isn't quite as simple when you don't have that script and you're kind of doing it in your free time and you're figuring it out as you go. So it was a labor of love and a process, but that was kind of um, a huge learning experience. It was almost like grad school, kind of figuring out how to do this yeah. undertaking and um, feel really proud of that, even though it was kind of a small budget, you know, simple, elevated student film in many ways, it, it, it really had you know, meaningful impact. Yeah. You're not kidding about how long it takes to make a doc. Um, I mean, I think it averages like three to five years sometimes because the story sometimes takes on a life of its own, right? And the story, I've heard a lot of documentary filmmakers talk about how they went out to capture one story and the story they wanted to tell ended up changing based on mm -hmm. the story they captured. I think even I've been interviewed in like three or four documentaries over the course of the years that I've never even seen because they never <laughs> got finished or maybe, but all the people are like, we're going to finish it someday. Why is that? What What is it about documentaries that make them so difficult to push over the finish line? Well, you know, my story was exactly what you said in that the story started out as one thing and then evolved into something else. But yeah, I think that when when you have a script, you put so much of that work ahead, you know, you know so much ahead of time, right? About what the, what the 
story is going to be. But when you're doing a documentary and you're kind of really open, which is how you should be, you should be willing to adapt because that's when you find the greatest stuff. You should be willing to be flexible and change your mind and go where the truth is, right? Grow, yeah. Go where the interesting thing is happening. And so when you're doing that, it's, it's a process. And um, editing documentaries is really hard. You can then suddenly amass lots and lots of footage because things are happening in real time, in real life, at the speed of life. And so you're, you're chasing a story and then you get back to edit it and you've amassed all this footage. And that's a process to go through it and to create the emotion and to know, um, you know, there's this, I'm sure you've heard the term killing your babies. Yes. So that you fall in love because you, you know these people and you know these experiences and you want to incorporate all these things you have ideas of. And so I think that the it's a tedious and yeah. um, process that you have to be really dedicated to. And it's something that with time becomes easier. But especially a first go, um, I think it looks a lot easier. That that's That's the other thing is a lot of people watch documentaries. And they assume like, well, there was only one, ver you know, it's a real story. So there's only one version of how that could have come together. <laughs> you know, we're basically watching what really happened, like a yeah. news piece or something. Yeah. But it's it's so different in terms of all of the choices that you have totally. to make. So many choices and so much work and thinking about the arc and the music and mm -hmm. um, the emotion. So it's it's one of those processes that I like, I hate it, but I love it. At the same yeah. time. Love, hate. Is it Twain that said truth is stranger than fiction? Oh, yeah, I think so. It reminds yeah. me of documentaries. I was sitting here thinking about it, listening to you talk. It's like sometimes I think documentaries are so engaging and because they are telling stories that we would have never dreamt up or written. It's like, and then you hear people say like, I couldn't have made that up, you know? And it's like there's so many people complaining about writer's block or I just can't come up with any story ideas. And it's like, well, why don't you just go interview some real people? There's so many stories out there. That's what I think documentaries can teach us. But it's fascinating how they've risen in popularity. Do you think that is just a result of, you know, do new platforms like Netflix that have obviously made documentaries more um, accessible, I guess? Or do you think that the rise in popularity with documentary filmmaking says something about who we are as human beings and the stories that we're craving in this season of culture or our world? I think the art form and the storytelling of documentaries has changed a lot in a really positive way, which is part of the reason that people enjoy watching them no more. more. And um, I think a lot of that is because living in the time we're living now where we have everyone has a smartphone with the internet and Wikipedia at their acts, you know, at the tip of their fingers, we have so much information everywhere. Mm -hmm. And I think a while ago, documentaries were viewed as like, here's a way to educate you. Here's a way mm -hmm. to share an idea or learn something. And we don't need that anymore mm. from documentaries. We have all of the information. There's a faster way. You don't have to watch a 90 There's, minute, yeah. But that information really lacks like a connection mm -hmm. and it lacks um, access and it lacks um, intimacy. And so I think that what that's pushed documentary filmmakers to do and why I think storytellers who maybe may have gone into narrative before but like myself, are more interested in documentaries because um, we see, like you said, that that everyone has a story, and we can apply those same like emotional, powerful things we love about narrative to documentary. 
And so we're bringing in these kind of cinematic toolkits with us, um, as well as kind of these more elevated structures and ways to tell the story and crack into the emotion of the characters. Mm -hmm. So I think they're just documentaries have gotten better. And um, places like Netflix um, and Amazon and and now Apple are, are creating the platforms where documentary filmmakers suddenly have access to money to do these things, which they yeah. didn't for so long. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I, and I hope that that continues, that trend Me too. continues going up. Um, and now you've had the privilege of working on Chef's Table multiple seasons now. You're the only female director, I believe, Correct. of Chef's Table, right? Maybe speak to that tension a little bit. What has it been like to be a female director in, oh boy. in a world that is still so male-dominated? Uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's not easy. Um, it still really is a boys club. Yeah. And, um, I think that whenever I meet with a new production company or producer or colleague in any respect who's a man, it's kind of like an initial first meeting where I'm sussing out and not even consciously, I kind of realized this just recently, but it's just one of these things you realize that happens. You're like sussing out, okay, is this person thinking of me as a woman and a director who's a woman who they either need to hire or they think is the right thing or whatever? Or are, am I just another director to them mm -hmm. who's on an equal playing field? Yeah, that that sucks. <laughs> it's yeah. not it's not nice when you realize that a lot of people think of you as like you're checking a box of something that they need to fill mm -hmm. or inherently think that you need to prove yourself more than other people um, or don't give you the same opportunities, which has happened many times. Um, not only to myself, but all of the other women I know who are in this industry. So We've still got a long ways to go, mm -hmm. um, but I do feel a renewed sense of confidence that I haven't in the past about where things are going. And yeah. I think these movements that are happening like Time's Up, there's a bit of a paradigm shift happening where people are thinking deeper about these issues and people are giving women and people of color more opportunities. And when we're given opportunities, we, you can see that our work is just as good, and that starts to eliminate that disconnect. Mm -hmm. um, and we we start to see, um, you know, there's this idea, you can't be what you don't see. So when people think of what a director looks like, they usually don't think of somebody who looks like me. But now that we're changing that, so like that was one of the reasons when you called, I was excited to get on stage because like people need to see that this is what a director can look like Absolutely. and sound like. Absolutely. So yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty um, excited and optimistic about what's to come. That's the effect that an industry can have on you, especially when you're a minority in that industry. It can create insecurity, but every single doubt someone like Abby beats is one less doubt a future woman filmmaker won't have to take on when she starts directing. And Abby says the experience of working on a show like Chef's Table has had a positive effect too. It's had an impact on her personal life. Outside of being a filmmaker, I'm like, obsessed with food. <laughs> I love eating. I love cooking. 
I don't um, really understand people who don't enjoy eating food. <laughs> I know. It seems like such a basic thing to say. Like, yes, you know, I'm no, a human I being. I love food, yes. <laughs> love food, <laughs> which was another reason I was excited. I was like, all right, Nashville, you get some good eating to do in the city. Yes. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so that, you know, I, this was a bit of a dream job for me in that I love – you know, I actually am really passionate about chefs and about food and about sourcing. Um, and then I'm also really passionate about the craft of filmmaking and storytelling and interviewing real people. And then on top of that, Chef's Table gives you, like I said, that cinematic toolkit. It, you know, it, when I did the um, Anna Rosh episode a few years ago, you know, I realized that this is just an example. I realized that she wasn't very emotive. You know, she's Slovenian. They're, they, you know, it's like a Slavic language and a culture that is very kind of not as effusive as the French or Italian chefs. Let's just put it that way. And so when I was trying to get to some of these like core issues with her and even moments of triumph, it was all pretty at the same level of enthusiasm. Mm -hmm. And um, so I thought of an idea to kind of help get into her head, which was like basically um, inspired by a scripted film I had seen where we had it we had a dolly push in and the lights dim and she took a bite and then we kind of went into her head with a drone shot. And that's the kind of thing that you don't normally get to do in a verite documentary. So I loved that we were able to use um, kind of some more elements of narrative and scripted and mm -hmm have tools like steady cams and drones and and find ways to kind of tell their story using visuals. Yeah, I think it's part of why what makes Chef's Table so special that you guys are being innovative like that. Yeah. So if you are sitting in front of a mic, which you are connected to thousands of storytellers and you could tell them one thing if there's something that you want them to know. Mm. Um what would you hope that they know? One piece of advice that I have um and this is more of a practical thing, but um, what, somebody had told me this early on in my career and I felt like it was really helpful. And it's understand like specifically what it is that you want to do. Because so many times when we're just trying to do anything creative or, you know, whatever opportunity comes our way, nobody's really going to think of you for that. And those opportunities aren't going to, you know, come to you. But the more you say, you know, in my case, I want to make documentaries about food <laughs> or whatever it is that is your dream the more you can zero in on that and start doing it in whatever way you can and tell everyone that you know that's what you want to do I feel like that's a huge way that um, can help you get to where you want to go Finding a way to tell important stories that involve important causes is specifically what Abby wants to do. And she gets to in her own personal filmmaking and on Chef's Table, including the episode she helmed for the brand new season. So the new season just came out. Your episode aired not too long ago. Tell us a little bit about that episode and the chef that you got to feature. Yeah, this this was a very exciting episode for me. Um, I got to film with Christina Martinez, who's a chef in Philadelphia, and she makes the most amazing lamb barbacoa tacos. And so it's totally not what you would normally expect from Chef's Table, who's, you know, we have a reputation of featuring Michelin star restaurants. <laughs> yep. um, but Christine is amazing because she's an activist and she's an undocumented immigrant. And 
uh, her story is about a lot more than food. It's about creating a sense of home for her community, and it's about her trying to support her family in Mexico. And so this one was a really a powerful opportunity, I thought, because it's so special for what, mm-hmm. what our series is doing. Um, and I had the most incredible time with her, with her family in Mexico. And, um, you know, I think she's just a real hero. So I hope everyone enjoys, you know, the film that we made together. Yeah. What is it about the, the story that food tells? Because we often don't think of food as a medium of storytelling. And really the show kind of proves that, I think. Food seems to have this like transcendent magical quality to it and the way that it brings us together, it gets people around a table. Oftentimes like someone that we might, you know, fight over ideology or politics sitting next to a plane. But if we sit down at a dinner table, you know, something about the food that brings people together. What is it? What is it about food? It's magic. Um, Well, I mean, for, for a show like Chef's Table, what I've realized is that the idea of what what a chef does is they tell a story on a plate, mm-hmm. right? That's what's different than going to a diner when you go to a restaurant that's run by a chef because it's they're the author of that menu, they're the author of that experience, and they're the they're the the one telling the story with food, and that's what distinguishes them. You know, that's the people that we cast and the people we choose to feature. It's because they're doing something so original. And they're doing something from their heart and their experiences, and um, that's translating uh, an experience just like any other artistic medium to the diner when they come to that restaurant. So, um, with someone like Anna Rosh, she's, you know, kind of a poet. You know, she's being inspired by all the different ingredients in, in the Socha Valley, um, the trout and the rivers and, and the herbs and the fields. And, and she's coming up with these whimsical ideas that are mm-hmm. playful and fun and, and telling that story of, um, of her land on, on that dish and her sensibilities. Somebody like Christina, you know, this is a, a recipe that's been passed down from generation to generation to generation. So it's not about the innovativeness of her reinventing and being creative. It's about her telling the story of, I'm Christina Martinez. I'm from Capoac, Mexico, the, the, the capital of barbacoa. And I'm from this family that makes this amazing dish. And, yeah. and I know this secret recipe that's been passed down for so many, so many years. So I think there's something really special when you can enjoy the flavors of food and understand the story behind the mm-hmm. chef who made them. Mm-hmm. In many ways, you're you're a storyteller of storytellers. <laughs> you're taking people who tell stories through food that they put on a plate, and you're trying to tell the story about how they tell stories. Exactly. Is that a creative challenge? That's that's a, you nailed it. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, it can be. I think now that we're in our the one that we're I'm editing now is six our sixth season, so we're figuring out kind of how to do it at this point. Um, but everyone presents its own challenge, every mm-hmm. every story that you tell. And um, if anything, I think knowing, you know, working with storytellers is great because you know they're passionate about, you know they have something to say. Um, you know they're passionate-driven people. So you're starting with a character who is has goals and who's ambitious and has dreams and desires mm-hmm. and all the things that you want in a hero and a in a in an archetype. So um, I think it's I think it's a great place to start with a storyteller.
Thank you so much for listening to the Story Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, it'd be a huge help to us if you take just a short moment to leave a rating or review and spread the word to others on social media what you learned or what you were inspired by from this conversation. When you do, feel free to tag Story Gathering. It's just at Story Gathering so we can see how you're connecting with this podcast and really just what's most resonating to you. It helps us as we attempt to serve this global community of storytellers around the world. As always, I am Harris III, and until next time, thank you so much for listening. Thank you.